found my kids, which, which is fine. Uh, I did that this morning as well. One of my sons, <laughs> I was up, you know, early in the morning, just, you know, spending time with the Lord, and uh, my kids come down, like, one at a time, and, and uh, I greet them, and, and I was focused on something else, and one of my twins came down, and I looked over, and I said, hey, what's up, Malachi, good morning, and he looked at me, and he was like, I was like, oh, you're Elias. <laughs> I, uh, I cut their hair too similar. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so thank you. Thank you, Pastor Keith, for, for letting me, uh, give me the, the privilege of coming and just sharing, um, sharing with you all. I love City Church Garland. And uh, uh, as I was listening to the announcements, I was getting excited for you because, you know, just, just uh, a word about myself, a little, little bit of uh, inside information. I'm not a cake person. I like pies. I love pies. And my birthday is November 2nd. So if there's any leftovers, let me know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I wanted to share um, today out of Philippians 3. And the reason why I wanted to share out of this passage uh, is because it's a very dear passage to me. Um, and I'll give you a uh, uh, another decades-old testimony <laughs> uh, of, of just what the Lord has done in my life in meditating on, on this scripture. Uh, so I was uh, 19 years old in college, and uh, there, from time to time, you know, you'll, you'll stop, you'll like, take stock in your life and, and ask yourself the question, like, okay, are things measuring up? Am I where I need to be? Am I where I'm supposed to be? And so, for whatever reason, at 19 years old, I was uh, walking around my college campus uh, trying to figure that out. Um, and I was uh, a music student at that college, and, and it was a small Christian college. We had, we had chapel every day, um, and so I got the privilege of leading music, and so there was like a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, activity and excitement around my gifting of singing, and so I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to be a professional musician one day, I'm going to, you know, write music and sing songs for the Lord, and, uh, and I was just really enjoying the, the uh, friendships and the excitement of, you know, just the popularity of singing and all that, all that that had to bring, and the Lord, at some point, probably was in one of the chapels, just kind of stopped me and said, hey, is, is this really where we're going? Is this where we're going? Is this is this what it looks like to, to follow me? To kind of build yourself up? And, and it really stopped me in my tracks. And it took me a while to kind of evaluate myself and, and uh, before the Lord and just respond to his call to surrender, to change my view on what really uh, was the pathway to, to success in my life. Um, and it's following him, right? It is, it is knowing Jesus. And so uh, during that time, during that year, I, I was brought uh, across this passage, and it really, it really spoke to where uh, the Lord had brought me uh, during that experience. Now, one of the things I love about the Lord is that he's faithful, that he's patient, and that uh, no matter how many times in the uh, 20 years since I've had that uh, moment with him, I've had to stop and reevaluate and say, hold on, and he's asked me this question, is this where we're going? Is this what it looks like to follow me? And, and he, gives, he gives us opportunities over and over again to, to reaffirm our commitment to him. 
He gives us opportunities to, to reestablish. And, and the word that comes to mind is repent. Maybe we're, we're going down one way and we realize, you know, um, I'm, I'm off track. It's time, to, it's time to repent. It's time to turn. Get back in line with the Lord. Repentance is a gift. Amen? Yes. And we have the chance to turn. Yes. So, so with that, let's, let's read this passage this morning. It's starting in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness which is from the law, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Father, thank you that you, that you uh, give us your spirit so that we are able to see the truth. We know that on our own we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you made us alive in Christ. And so may we, this morning, be reminded that Jesus is our highest joy, that he is worth everything that we have. So thank you uh, for this word from, from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. I pray that you would bless our time together and that you would open our eyes that we would see wondrous things from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. But like I said, from time to time, we all have those questions. There's something inside of all of us that wants to make sure we're on the right track. Now, if we were left to our own devices, we probably would end up having different definitions of that, and we can see that in the world today and in the interactions that, that we may have with maybe coworkers or neighbors or family. Like Sometimes we just have different values and different, different uh, definitions of what is good, what makes us right. And if we're left to our own devices, we can be left questioning and just try, kind of a feeling of just trying to make it up as we go along. At some level, we all ask the question, what makes my life successful? What makes my life good? In some ways, we're asking the question that some philosophers and theologians would call, what is the good life? What are we working for? And the Lord gives us the definition of that. He calls it righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be Right. What does it mean to be good? You see, because we, we just have this feeling that, that there's something wrong with the world. And we know through, through the word that what's wrong with the world is sin. We know that, that Jesus Christ is God's saving answer to the destruction that sin and death cause in this world. And so God says, my way is through Jesus. My way through to, to the good life, to righteousness, is through Jesus. And we see the Apostle Paul flesh that out here in, his, in a testimony from his own life. But first, let, let's, 
kind of get on the same page about what righteousness is. Broadly, I talked about how it was uh, answering that question of, of what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be right? So when all is said and done at the end of your life, or even just at the end of the day, did I live right? Have I been good? Have things worked out for me? And the definition that the Lord gives us is this. One that we find in Scripture is that righteousness is a state of living in right relationship with God that works itself out in right relationship with others. I'll say that again. Righteousness from God's definition is a right relationship with God that works itself out in right relationship with others. And we, we're familiar with that language because Jesus said the, two, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself on this all the law and the prophets hang. So what God is interested in is right relationship with him, which works itself out in right relationship with others. We can't say we love God and, and hate our brother, right? They go hand in hand. The only way that we can have right relationship with God is, is not by our own stacking up things and proving to God how awesome we are. Because deep down we're broken. We're all affected by sin. And God has a different answer for us. A, a unconditional love for us in Christ's salvation through Jesus Christ, through faith. But if we walk in it, we can have that right relationship with Him. And as we, as we have that right relationship with Him, He fills us with His Spirit, He fills us with His love to walk out in right relationship with others. So there are two ways to achieve righteousness. There are two ways that we try to achieve righteousness. One is the confidence in the self. And that's the wrong way. And the second way is confidence in Jesus. And we see both of these in this passage. The first way is confidence in self. But what things were gained to me? What, what were those things that Paul was, uh, was counting as gain to him? And if you think about it, um, there's this picture that he's painting of this like prophet and lost sheep. Lost, uh, sheep. If, uh, if you own a business or you're, you're in business at all, you, you kind of, as you're balancing the budget and you're, you're looking at, okay, what has come in this year and what has gone out this year, you want what has come in this year to be greater than what has gone out this year, what, what the debits have been. If, if it's the opposite, this is not a good thing. You want to have some profit. And so Paul, he talked about how how his, his uh, view has changed about what profit and loss is. And before this, before verse 7, uh, in verses 4 through 6, he kind of goes through a litany of things that, that he could, that if he was looking for righteousness in and of himself, if he were looking for confidence in himself to show God, hey, we're good, see? I can, look, you and me, we're cool. We can kick it. These are the things that he would, that he would stack up. So in verse 4 it says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So he's like, look, you guys think you can be confident in yourself. I actually have more. And let me tell you my, my, uh, my, my, my prophet sheep. <laughs> Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, 
concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He says, look, I was the man. I was blameless. And not only that, I was from the people of God. And not just from the people of God. I was, I was, uh, I was uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was not just an Israelite. I was someone who went hard to, to be perfect and to be good and to show myself as right before the Lord. You see, in the, in the early Christian church, there was this, um, there was this faction of, of people who came to the churches and said, oh, you know, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but if you really want to be a part of the people of God, you have to become a Jewish person. And it's centered around this idea of circumcision. And Paul's whole message is this. No, no, no. The message of the gospel is that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. That Jesus is the Savior of the Jewish people. Yes, thank you, Lord. But that Jesus is the Savior of all the nations. And so if we go in this back and forth trying to say, oh, okay, well, you, if you really want to be a good Christian, you've got to do all these things. That's not what, that's not what Paul, that's not what Jesus' salvation is, is about. The righteousness that comes from God is not about following the law to a team. It's about Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world. It's about surrendering our lives to Him as King of the universe. It's about walking in faith and in close relationship with Him. And that only we can do through, through faith and through, by grace, right? So you've got this outward appearance, this idea of outward appearance. He's like, look, I, I was a Jew on the outside. I've got cultural and family heritage. Things that were just given to me, man, they set me up really good. And then on top of that, I was following the rules to a T. How much more righteous could someone get? The Pharisees can out-rule follow everybody. Jesus even said in his Sermon on the Mount that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So even Jesus is saying, hey, you guys know how to follow the law to a T, but there's something more. So none of those things, being a part of the people of God, following the law of God, none of those things are bad things. Except maybe persecuting the church. None of those things are bad things. But it doesn't make you righteous. And so I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself, what are the things today that we could be tempted to put our confidence in? To gain the good life. To gain right, right standing before the Lord. Maybe it's our outward appearance. Maybe it's the way we dress. Maybe the way we take care of our body. Or maybe it's cultural or family heritage. I, I come from a good family. I'm proud to be, uh, and I'm proud to be an American. Oh, I grew up in the church. Or maybe it's following the rules. I, you know what? I don't do bad things. I serve in the church. I tithe. I manage my money well. I read my devotions every day. Or you know, I have the right political ideals. I have the right systematic theological thinking. Now hear me. None of these things are bad things. It's just if you put your trust in them like it's a like it's a prophet in lost sheep, that you're going to come to God and be like, look, we're good. 
It doesn't make you righteous. See, here Paul's not talking about outwardly rebellious, sin-pursuing people. He's talking about people who are so earnest to prove their rightness, their righteousness, that they hold on to whatever makes them seem good and become confident in their ability to prove it. Are there any of us who might be tempted to come to God like this? When we come to God like this, there are, there are two ways that it can work itself out. The first way is that there might be people who are tempted to think, you know what? I'm killing it as a good person. I, I got this thing down. Look at how my life's working out. I'm good. So that approach doesn't actually lead you where you think it does. It doesn't lead to righteousness. It leads to self-righteousness. It leads to judgmentalism. It ends up hurting the very people that God calls you to love. Because in our hearts, when we start to build ourselves up, we start to look at other people and think, oh, those poor souls, I wish they were like me. If I could just teach them how to live like this, they would also be good people. (coughs) And you see, that attitude in our hearts is not the self-sacrificing love of Jesus that's supposed to be present there. So it's not righteousness. The second response, this is maybe where some of you are today, is feeling weighed down by trying to be right and good on your own. By trying to follow the rules, but that's a heavy, heavy burden. These are people who are looking at everything they can't do right. And that leads to self-condemnation. But the good news is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? When you get so focused on what you can do to prove your goodness, you actually end up getting distracted from what is really worth our attention. See, God is not interested in you proving how good you can be. He wants you to know how good He is. He wants you to see and experience His definition of the good life. And the Apostle Paul, being at the top of the game in the area of confidence and status and achievement, self-righteousness, he encountered the truth. And it changed his whole pursuit in life. He went from confidence in self to confidence in Christ. He received righteousness through relationship with Jesus Christ. So he says, whatever things were gained to me, I, these things I have counted loss for Christ. He had a change of perspective. He realized the truth about his efforts to prove his goodness to God. He realized what it actually was. What seemed to be good actually ended up being gross. I'm reminded of uh, this commercial that was in circulation a couple years ago. Uh, you guys may have seen it. It's, uh, uh, it was a Febreze commercial. And, uh, and the whole premise of the commercial is that Febreze masks odors so well that you wouldn't know it if you were blindfolded. And so what they would do, I'm sure it was a dramatization because some of the stuff was pretty gross. What they would do is they would, they would blindfold people and then they'd spray some Febreze 
that they bring them into this like dingy, dirty uh, room and have them sit on the couch and like smell pillows and everything that was just gross and nasty. And, <laughs> and because there was Febreze on it, you couldn't tell. And then they took off the blindfold. They're like, "Ugh, what is this? That's not what this smells like." And so I think that that's a picture of when we begin to see the truth of the fact that that counting our 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 good deeds and our self righteousness as profit, it actually ends up being detrimental to us. So instead of of profit, now it's not it's not just Nothing. It's it's a loss. It takes away from that pursuit. If you're trying to live the good life in your own efforts and you're stacking these things up to show yourself to be good, it actually takes away from that. It leads to self-righteousness and judgmentalism and self-condemnation. and It just ends up not working out, right? Paul also calls it rubbish. He says, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He says, look, none of this is good. None of this that I can put confidence in myself is good compared to knowing Jesus, to compared to being found in Him. And that word rubbish is just a strong word for really, really gross things. So as we've seen, pursuing righteousness based on achievement or status is so rotten that it actually becomes a liability. So what counts for being righteous? What really makes us good is having relationship with God, the author of goodness himself. And that is found through faith in Jesus, through loving him, through knowing him, following him, Worshiping Him. Rejoicing in Him. Paul said, I'm willing to give everything up so that I can know Jesus. Look at the words that Paul uses to explain what he's investing in now. The excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse 8. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. That I may know Him. You see, that's relational language. How do you articulate and quantify a relationship? It's more than just facts, right? It's, it's experiential. How do you explain an experience? Because that's what he's calling us into. If we're looking for a checklist, we've missed the point. For instance, I could bring you, bring my wife up here or just show a picture of her and list all of the good qualities that, uh, that I see in her. And I could give you a full rundown on who she is, but until you actually meet her and talk to her, experience what it's like to hear her laugh, experience what it's like to hear her thoughts and talk and, and tell a story, you don't really know her, Right? You can know about her, but you don't really know her. And so the, there's, a, there's a presentness and, to, and an enjoyment of close relationships, right? There's nothing like just being close with, with a friend or a spouse. It's more than just those, those points of interest, those facts about them. 
So if you want to pursue anything in your relationship with Jesus, it's that joy, it's that enjoyment of Him. Righteousness found in Christ is a trust in His goodness. Righteousness found in Christ is resting knowing that He's forgiven us, that He's given us His Spirit to to help us to walk in newness of life. He's raised us up. And we can have abundant, joyful life now. How heavy and burdensome it can feel trying to earn God's approval. But being found in Christ comes with freedom. Through faith in Jesus, the Father offers us Christ's righteousness and then puts His Spirit in to draw us to Himself so that we can walk in that right relationship with Him. Why would we choose to put a heavy burden back onto ourselves? There is so much to gain from pursuing Jesus and His righteousness. And nothing but trash to gain from pursuing our own righteousness. What He's offering us is resurrection life. Oh, before I go on, I will say this. That's, that's not to say that when we... Uh, when we meet Jesus, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, that's not to say that, that our lives stay the same, right? Just the fact that when, when we come into contact with Jesus, it makes us want to be different. <laughs> He's so good. And we've been forgiven so much. It just says, how can I not help but live a life of worship to you? And so your motivation for a life that, that pursues uh, righteousness, that right relationship with others is because of how good Jesus has been to us. In verse 10. So Paul says, I've given all of this up. Paul says, I consider all of the things that I previously would have defined myself as awesome and just killing it in life. He says, I consider all of that a liability compared to knowing Jesus and being found in Him. That I may know Him. Given all this up, that I, up, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And he defines this a little bit. He says, and the fellowship of His sufferings. Hold on one second. Being conformed to His death. There's just, it's like this, this big, uh, this big windup. He's like, I get to know Christ. I get to be found in Him. I get to have His righteousness. And then He says that I may know the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What is Paul talking about? And when, when you first read that, it's a little bit jarring, right? <laughs> it sounds so promising, and then it's like, oh, wait, death? Suffering? How does that work? And I believe what Paul's referring to is actually, we can actually find um, earlier in Philippians. 
just a, a side note, as you're studying scripture, uh, particularly um, some of the letters of Paul, there's, a, there's oftentimes like a, an argument that, uh, that he kind of, uh, and points that he's making all the way through. And so if there's a verse that you're like, I don't, that doesn't really make sense to me. Oftentimes it's kind of a continuing thought uh, from uh, some of the earlier things he said. So, so let's go back to Philippians 2, uh, starting in verse 6, and let's, uh, let's read about the sufferings of Christ. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, what happened with Jesus is that he was, he was God. He is God. And he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to so tightly, but he, he emptied himself. And he became, he became a man. And not just that, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. And Paul calls the believers in Philippi to have such a humble and servant-hearted attitude like Christ, who's our ultimate example. The way to resurrection life in Christ is to follow him in his sufferings. Humility. Servant-hearted obedience. Because there's a temptation. It's really easy to move back into self-righteousness. To say, oh, I'm doing good. I'm going to build myself up. Okay, God, you see how we're good? We're good. Hey. But no. There's a continual call to humility. There's a continual call to consider others better than yourself. There's a continual call to follow Jesus in this way. And this is the way to resurrection life. You see, the path that Jesus took led to his exaltation. It led to God giving him the name that is above every other name, that every that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So, so what, what Jesus promises, what this gospel promises, what this good news promises us in the good life is that if we spend our lives following Christ in humble obedience to Him, following Him as the King of our lives, we experience the powers of His resurrection. That even in the darkest moments, we have joy, we have peace, we have contentment, because we know who's taking care of us. There's a power of his resurrection now. We can, we can feel that abundant life. We can experience that abundant life even in the most desperate of circumstances. And even in the future, there's a reward. That there's a resurrection coming when Jesus comes back to set everything right. Those who are found in him will be resurrected. Death no longer poses a permanent threat to those who know and love 
Jesus Christ. The ultimate threat of sin is death, but Jesus conquered it. He says, you don't have to walk in that way anymore. You don't have to fear death. Follow me. I have life to give you. So the path to this abundant and good life is one of surrender and obedience. Humbly building your life on knowing Christ and following him and his lifestyle is what matters. It leads to the greatest reward anyone could ask for. Eternal, abundant life with God from now on. So we don't even really need that prophet and lost sheep. We've lost up. Jesus Christ gave his life so that we could gain uh, it, it, this whole idea reminds me of one of my favorite parables that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. He says the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's buried in a field. A man comes along and finds it. <laughs> and in his joy, he buries it, goes and sells all he owns and buys that field. It's, and I used to hear that story and I'm like, man, he sold everything he owns? That's a lot. Well, yes. It's because the treasure in that field was so good. He said, here, have everything. I got something y'all don't know about. I got this treasure. And so I think even as we hear the messages of the world about what makes a good life, or maybe we have internal struggles about, like, what should I be pursuing to make my life good, and make my life have meaning? Jesus is here and he has, he has an answer for us. He says, look, come to me. Come to me. I'll give you life. Come to me and I'll give you abundance. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we want that resurrection life. We want to know you, Jesus, and the power of your resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings, becoming like you in your death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. We want to be found in you. So even today, as we, as we uh, have a moment to readjust and say, wherever I've been living, in a way that is for my own self-righteousness, I give that up. I repent and I turn to you and I say, all I have is Christ. And that is more than enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.